Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Tea with the Queen. So today we're going to talk about all things financial. I am here as ever with Miss Amy Banks, who for those of you that follow me regularly know that Amy works with me in my firm. So hello, hello Amy. Back again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we specialise in everything family law. So we don't do any other area of law except for family. And a question that I get absolutely swamped with on yeah. my socials is when a couple are going through a divorce or perhaps a relationship has ended, what are they entitled to financially? How much of the equity are they going to get from the house? Are they going to get all the shares? Are they going to be financially responsible for something that the like a debt, for example, that the other party has um, incurred? So I thought we'd do a podcast on the finances and all things financial. Um, you actually ran a Q&A, Amy, on yeah. this. What was the outcome of that? So we've had loads of questions and okay. I think I'll just say we won't be able to talk about everything but I definitely think this will be a good little series to get going on the podcast okay. where we can talk let's talk everything finance because yeah. I think it's such a broad topic everyone has so many questions all the time yep. there's not enough hours in the day to be able yes. to do that so yep. I think yeah guys keep all obviously giving us the questions and, and everything like that but we've obviously got a few that I've narrowed down which I think were quite common questions yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll just start off with one um, just to go, unless you wanted to talk a little bit about well, what a fine yeah, I was going to say so. maybe give some context around why I'm always banging on about yeah. you guys <laughs> getting a financial order. Um, ultimately, if you are going through a divorce and all you do is get your divorce, then you haven't severed the financial ties. So financial ties exist between a married couple by virtue of their wedding, okay? So what that means is that you can be divorced for one year, five year, 10 year, 20 years, but if you haven't severed the financial ties, then your ex or indeed you can make a financial claim against them. Now, I know that I've shared a case with you, Amy, that you love. Yeah. What was the story <laughs> where they didn't get a financial order and what happened? Was this the one? The the lottery win. Oh, yeah. I thought I was like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So we had, um, we had a client who obviously the other side... They had won the lottery. That's there was right. no financial order in place. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we went to court with it, and we did, we did. get a share of the. And we got we got a share of the lottery yeah, winning. We did. And I, and I know that people listening to these stories think, well, that's never going to happen to me. It may happen to you. Yeah. And it might not be a lottery win, but it might be a redundancy payout. It might be some sort of inheritance or what have you. But just know that until you've got that financial order, you haven't severed financial ties. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to couples that live together because the law is very different so you haven't got financial ties if you just live together and you haven't got married but you still may be entitled to a share of your partner's home for example even if your name isn't on the deeds yeah but we'll jump straight into it all yeah. things finances here we go throw those questions We've my got way a question okay, okay here we go so first question is i want a financial order but my ex refuses to engage what do i do well, first thing you want to be doing is, I always say to my clients, start with around the kitchen table discussions. Even if they can't agree with you what the financial settlement's going to be, at least let's start the negotiation somewhere. Making it clear, actually, what's priority for you. Not everybody wants the pension. Not everybody wants the house. So I think that's the starting point. If 
the round the kitchen table discussions don't get you anywhere, then I would be suggesting use mediation. It's a prerequisite of the court anyway that couples at least attempt mediation. So that'd be step two. If mediation doesn't work or perhaps mediation isn't suitable, then you're making a court application. And what is the court application called? The court application, well, it's a financial application that we make to the court and we do that using the form A. Form A is a pretty standard form. You can complete it yourself if you want to. Um, And what you're saying to the court is, I need a financial order. Um, Not kind of sure what's going in the financial order yet. I say to people that are doing it themselves, tick all the boxes. So when it says, what order do you want? And it will say things like lump sum order, maintenance order, transfer of property. Just tick all the boxes at this stage. Because you may not be aware until you swap your financial disclosure with your ex as to exactly what you're entitled to. Because there's a lot of people who literally have no idea. You know, it shocks me when I say to people, I'm doing um, a consultation with a new client and I'll say, so what does your wife earn? And they'll say, I have no idea. Yeah. What's the value of your house? I don't know what that is. I don't think wrong with that. I just think, well, we've got a lot of work to do. And do you know what? It's interesting that you say that because if I obviously didn't come into this job, yeah. I don't think that would cross my mind. Really? Yeah. And I think we spoke about it on one of our podcasts before about teaching it in schools because I yeah. just think like, I mean, I have common sense, but like there's certain things that I just don't think yeah. about on my daily daily thing. Now I'm so aware of it, and I think moving like moving forward, I that is something I'd always be conscious of. Yeah. But yeah, I would never have thought about it before being in. This so, do you role. think that if you got into a relationship now, at some point, yeah. especially if you're moving in together, you would be confident enough to say to your partner, "What do you earn?" Yeah, one hundred percent. Because yeah. I'd kind of want to know what you're paying. Because if you start splitting bills, yeah, you want to be like. Say if they earn more than me, you kind of, you don't want to be out of pocket because you're, do you know what I mean? I would want to divide the bills in Equally. a way that is equal with our pay. Oh, that's interesting. That's what I want to do. So not equally. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, okay. That's single forever, everyone now. <laughs> <laughs> they're running for the hills now, Amy. <laughs> but I do, I think like, say if they're getting a lot more and we have like certain expenses going out, I don't want to be, I could be then have even but, less. But that's not fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should be paying for anything, really. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that if her partner earns double what she earns, yeah. he should be paying twice as much towards the bills that you've incurred. Oh, I don't know if this has come out right now. <laughs> they should be paying a little bit more because they this, get that little bit This viewers is Amy backpedalling on what she's just said. Hey oh my God. She was put, she was put a pin in that one. We will, she's yeah. In that one. I know I've or, gone all red now. Yeah. There you go. Not that you can tell probably. <laughs> Question number two. Question number two. <laughs> Where are on. we? Let's go. Oh, I think this will flow in quite well before I went a bit off piece there. Okay. <laughs> can I get a financial order on my own without my ex getting involved? No. Now, I get asked this a, a lot of times, actually, and I can understand why, because you can actually do the divorce without your ex getting involved, even though your divorce, uh, your, sorry, um, your ex has to acknowledge they've received the divorce petition. If they don't, we can engage a process server. Yeah. And of course, the process can continue. So, you know, in some circumstances, even though they're aware of it, they don't have to be involved. For the finances, sadly, they do have to be involved because we can get a financial order in one of two ways. We can do it by consent, in which case we are asking them to sign the financial order, giving their consent, 
or we go to court. But if we go to court, they've got to turn up. They've got to be there. Yeah. So there is no way to get a financial order without your ex being involved, knowing about it and participating in it. And that can be really tricky because a lot of times people just want a clean break, which is a type of financial order that contains nothing except neither one of you will make a financial claim on the other in the future. Um, so all we want the other side to do really is to sign off on that. And sometimes they won't just because they're being yeah. difficult or they're being a bit pedantic or because there are no assets to be divided. But and in that case, we do have to go to court, which is a shame. But so the answer to that question is no, they have got to be involved. So say then they go to court with it. Yeah. And um, just speaking as like maybe someone has a question on that and you, they still don't engage with the court then make an order without them there. Not on the first hearing. So the court would most likely adjourn the first hearing off and, you know, line it up for a second hearing. Eventually, the court does have the power to make an order in the absence of that person. Um, absolutely, it does. The court's going to exercise discretion, be very cautious about doing that. Um, but yes, they can do it, uh, but it certainly wouldn't happen on the first hearing. No, a bit more lengthy, isn't it, when it goes yeah, down that route? absolutely, yeah. Perfect. Right, next question. Okay. Do you have to instruct solicitors to obtain a financial order? Um, you have to instruct to get the order drafted. So again, these financial orders are set in stone, guys. What the court want to see is that the order is fair and reasonable. And I'm talking about a legal fair and reasonable, not just the common sense fair and reasonable. Um, and also that both parties have taken independent legal advice. Now, that's not um, a definite requirement of the court, but the courts are more likely to make the order if they are assured that both parties have seen a solicitor. But if one party decides, actually, I don't really want to see a solicitor, the other party, you would, you'd have to instruct the solicitor to draft it. Yeah. Because in drafting the order, let's use me as an example, I'm going to be asking you questions about the financial situation of that marriage to make sure that the order I'm going to give you is fair and reasonable. Otherwise, the court can reject it. Yeah. So and they don't do have to make happen. it. Oh, we see it happen all the time. And I think, yeah. obviously, that's just the court being wary because yeah. all they see is, yeah, you have your draft consent order, but you do have to do a DAT1, which is a statement in support. And yeah. that's all the courts see. So, they obviously, they're only going to see like a, summer, like a summary of your finances. Yeah. So, as much as it makes sense to us, sometimes the courts do come back and they yeah. just want to make sure... They want to make sure... ...that what they are making an order, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And I'll tell you a great example of this is... Um, a couple of examples, actually... Where we had the old style divorce, we could rely on adultery as one of the reasons the relationship broke down. I had quite a few clients say to me, look, I was the person that committed adultery yeah. and therefore I want to give everything to the other side yeah. because it was sort of a, they felt guilty. The other thing that we see is that they've actually um, separated the finances maybe five years ago. They sold the property, they split it 50-50 and one person has gone on and used their 50% and actually that's generated a lot of equity in another property yeah. so when we're submitting the order to the court on the face of it it looks really unfair because one person has more than the other so sometimes we have to offer a letter to the court to explain why it does look unfair yeah. but actually it's not unfair and you can get the old hearing where they just kind of want to just see both people yeah. we've had that with a couple of clients and yeah. we've seen even with the new style because um, I guess you don't have 
with the old style you had the adultery and all like that and bad yeah. behavior and everything whereas now it's just no fault so i no, guess there's no, no reason you don't see the reason as to yeah. why they're doing it because we've had a couple of people that have kind of just given them a lot more like the other yeah. side a lot more yeah and then they've just done gone to a quick hearing and it's been been solved yeah so especially if one of you don't have a solicitor and the judge thinks oh hang on a minute is does this person really understand what they're signing they'll mention it they'll so they'll list it for a quick mention hearing uh, which means that the courts want to see you both just to be very clear that you both know what you're signing yeah. um, and just to explain that the order is kind of set in stone it is an order of the court um, and it's really hard to overturn them so that can happen on occasion yeah what happens if you have an order set in stone touching on that yeah and can you go to the courts and have it changed with exceptional circumstances usually my answer to that um generally speaking no you can't um but if there has been an exceptional circum let's say you you've been ordered to pay spousal maintenance and now you've lost your job yeah. and you can no longer pay that spousal maintenance it would need to be exceptional like that um, before the court will entertain it and then what we're doing is we're making an application to the court to vary the existing financial order but it, they're very hard to overturn N yeah. know that i would say and say if there was maybe a lump sum involved in the order yeah and they didn't pay it is that when can they then go to court with that well that's a breach so if you have promised to pay a lump sum to your ex and then for whatever reason you cannot pay that lump sum you are in breach of that financial order so the remedy well depends there's lots of remedies to that one really yeah. um, let's say that the person who was meant to pay the lump sum can't get the cash together but they've got a property the court might say, well, you're selling the property to pay the lump sum. Yeah. Because the original order considered it fair that the other person had that lump sum. So if they don't get the lump sum, it's not going to be fair. So the court will apply a remedy to that to get them their money in some other way. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Right, let's have another look. Oh, so <laughs> this is going to be... You might make you laugh, actually. Okay. So my ex earns double my salary. <laughs> um, is it fair for her to expect me to pay more than I can afford? No, obviously you can't pay more than you can afford. You know, you have X amount coming in. So you've got a ceiling on what you can have going out. That's my um, point exactly there, Tracy. <laughs> but then I think... Where the fairness comes into it is that you live in accordance to both your means. So, you know, if you're on a certain salary, you're probably not going to agree to living in an eight-bedroomed mansion if you maybe can't contribute half towards it. Mm. Now, it, look, ultimately, it's going to come down to the couple. There are lots of couples where one of them earns a lot more than the other person, and they're more than happy to pick up the tab. I mean, a perfect example is where maybe one of the couples um, isn't working yeah. and they're staying at home because they're looking after children or they're caring for a relative or what, whatever the situation might be. And the other person like, look, it's fine. I've got this. I'll pay the mortgage. I'll pay all the bills. I'm going to pay for the holidays. That's fine. Yeah. You know, the arrangement between the, the couple is very bespoke to them. Yeah. Um, but if someone is, is putting pressure on somebody, mm. we well, you know you've got to pay more. You've got to match my earning. Well, like, you can't possibly do that. No. I would, by the way, I wouldn't do that to somebody. I'm just saying. <laughs> Josie, explain that a lot nicer than what I was coming across. 
<laughs> got you out of that Pay moment. my bills. <laughs> I've got you back. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> um, so you're talking then about people not um, working. There yeah. was a question we had and it was to do with, I've just seen it and now I've lost it. My ex is unemployed and is refusing to get another job before we settle our finances. Uh, will they be entitled to more? We did do a little video on this. Yeah, so when we make an application, so when we get before the court, we're looking at the financial position then. So if that person is recently unemployed or recently been made redundant, we're going to assume that they're going to get back on that earning wagon quite soon. Yeah. They've got the potential to earn X amount. Let's say their old salary was, I don't know, 40,000 a year. They've got the potential to earn that. And this is a temporary blip in the road. So we're going to potentially do the financial order with that in mind. However, if when we come to court, that person's never worked throughout the marriage or perhaps been unemployed for a longer period of time, two to three years, the expectation for them to jump straight back into a full time job isn't going to be there because we've got to allow for them to maybe brush up on their skills. Um, they might lack a little bit of confidence to get back into the workforce. They've got to start applying for jobs. Yeah. So it would be unfair for us to expect them to go straight back into a full-time position if they haven't worked for a long time. Yeah. And because of that, they're then considered to be a little bit more vulnerable financially. And because of that, they may then be entitled to a little bit more than 50%. So I'm um, going off of that. Do you yeah. think that people hold back on what their earning capacity could be like with their jobs when going through like the finances? Oh, Amy, we see it all. Honestly, <laughs> we do. people stop working. People deliberately get into debt. People deliberately take lower paid um, jobs. Yeah. You know, especially in a really acrimonious divorce, people try anything. I've known people literally take every penny out of the bank account, the joint bank account, I might add, and put it all on red. Literally, because rather than have the other, their ex have 50% of it, they'd rather just lose it all. Yeah. You know, honestly, you see it all. You when do. it comes to finances, um, people can get really precious about um, not so much keeping what they've got, but more so preventing the other person from getting their hands on it. Yeah. And it can become very sort of territorial. Well, I earned that and I paid for that. Yeah. And of course, the difficulty is that when we're talking about a married couple, the law doesn't see it like that. The law doesn't just look at the financial contribution made. It looks at all the contributions made. If you're a homemaker, that's a contribution. If you're not working and you have, you're the one that stayed at home, that's still a contribution. Yeah. So it doesn't come down to every pound that an individual is invested into that relationship. I've had people give me Excel spreadsheets <laughs> going back over a 20-year relationship to yeah. say, this is what I have put into this marriage and I'm having it back. And unfortunately, I'm the one that has to say to them, it doesn't work like no. that. <laughs> and you can get like, you have people like that, but then you can also have somebody that, that has no idea so yes, you can get like we have clients that come and they're they're other side of talking about getting a financial order, but they yes. have no clue where yeah. to even start with that. You know, and that's more common than people think. Where you get somebody who maybe hasn't worked, and they will say to me, "No, it's fine, Trace. I haven't actually contributed to the house, yeah. so I'm happy for the other person to have all of it." And I have to say, well, hang on a minute, yeah. because what the court's looking to do is make sure that both parties' housing needs are met. 
that both parties' income needs are met. So it would be really unfair if somebody walked away with everything just because the other person didn't work. Because there's a reason, potentially, not always, but there's a reason why maybe they weren't working. Yeah, and you've got to remember that you're also starting from scratch as well. So you've got to put yourself in in the situation. Absolutely. You can't always be too kind. (laughs) No, this is true. This is true. (laughs) Perfect. Let's have a look at another one. Oh, so we had loads. I didn't even just put one question. I just thought we'd touch base on it. Um, Again, it's almost like with the lottery, is when there's a lot of money involved. Um, Inheritance. So say if there's Mm. someone's going to get inheritance, can that be incorporated into the finances? So as a general rule of thumb, we will always try to ring fence inheritance. If you haven't got inheritance by the time we get before the court then you're more likely to be able to keep it separate because you haven't got it yet. So it's not going to form part of our negotiations. If, let's say, you have already received it, maybe you've received it 10 years ago, then it's been absorbed into the marriage. So let's say during the marriage, somebody received 100 grand in inheritance and they used it to pay off the mortgage and the marriage continued for the 10 years, then chances are the inheritance is lost it'd be very tricky to then extract that 100 grand and just work with what we've got left. So the court might take the view in that instance that it's been absorbed into the marriage and therefore we're going to leave it there. Where it gets a little bit more tricky is where let's say somebody has just inherited it or the person that they're inheriting from has just passed away. So they haven't got it quite yet, but they're about to get it. Again, we're always going to be looking to try to ring fence that the court may include it where we need it. So what I mean by that is, if the court's going to make sure that both parties' housing needs are met, but there's not enough equity within the house to do that, it might draw upon some of the inheritance. So it might say to person A, who isn't going to get the inheritance, you keep the 100 grand that's in the former matrimonial home. And it might say to person B, because you're about to get 100 grand, you keep that. And that way we can satisfy what both parties need in terms of housing. Yeah. So, but generally we are going to try and ring fence it where we can. In your experience, you think it's last resort, the inheritance is Very much so. And I would say out of 10 cases, nine times we are ring fencing the inheritance successfully. Yeah, we see quite, yeah, we see a lot of ring fencing. Yeah, even in my short time in the law, I have seen it happen. (laughs) But even while you've been with me, we've had a case where the, um, one of the parties received inheritance, um, I think five years prior, they separated. He went out and bought a house with that um, and the court still held that that was separate. Yeah. And actually, we were just looking at the equity that was in the former matrimonial home. There was a lot of equity yeah. in the former matrimonial home, um, but the court felt that in that instance, he should keep you know, his, his inheritance separate, even though he'd had it for five years yeah. prior to the divorce. So most times, it will be ring-fenced. Yeah. Um, so say if you have a couple who... Um, they have the former matrimonial home, but then they've also got other properties. But so, so say they're not in joint names; they're in separate names. Okay. Yeah. Are they entitled to that? Well, the first thing I'd want to do is look at how those properties are being hold uh, held. Sorry. So, are they in a um, uh, a com- did I say company? No. How the- yeah, how those properties are being yeah, held? Yeah. Are they held within a company name? Um, so, 
They may form part of the matrimonial asset, but if they're owned by a company, which a lot of people will do that, they'll have rental or investment properties, but they'll put them into a company, the income from those um, investment properties or rental properties will certainly form part of the negotiations, but maybe not the properties. However, if the properties aren't part of a company and they're just in one person's name. It doesn't really matter when we're talking about a divorce because regardless of whose name things are in, they will still form part of the matrimonial assets. As long as we look at the structure of how things are held, then it, it will still form part of it, yeah. Yeah, oh, interesting. Mm. Um, so kind of going back down the court process, obviously yeah. there's lots of paperwork involved. Yeah. Um, don't we know it? Our yes. printers, <laughs> they are printers work hard at Our work, everybody. Printers, yeah. <laughs> Been yeah. through quite a few of them, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we are, but yeah. Anyway, so we had a question um, saying, what do I do if my ex won't disclose their bank statements? What kind of do you do then? So the court orders you to make full and financial disclosure when you are in court proceedings. So, you you know, I wouldn't advise that you go against the court order. You just produce them. However, some people are adamant and simply won't produce them. Yeah. And it's assumed if they won't produce them that they're hiding something. Yeah. So you would simply make the allegation that, well, the reason they won't produce them is because I know for a fact, the reason I asked for them is because I know that they received this big lump sum, yeah. this inheritance or whatever it might be. Um, and the fact that they won't produce them, I'm going to now invite the court to infer that what I'm saying is correct. Yeah. So I would say to anybody, just produce the bank statements because if you don't produce them, it's going to go against you potentially. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously, learning through the firm, you start off with your for me. Yeah. And you obviously exchange those. Yeah. But if, if you're knowledgeable of what your ex has and like bank accounts and that you don't see them on there, the next step then is do a questionnaire. So I think yeah. not always panic straight away when you do the formies, that's not the only paperwork that the court will see. Or even if it's a mutual exchange, because you then can do a questionnaire, a questionnaire. and you question, well, where's this bank account ending? Yes. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And where's that? And I know that you went on, you've got this, got this car or, that, or this yes. holiday. Yeah. And it's like, where's that? Because I can't see yeah. that in your statements. And I think yeah. that's where it's actually very good to be have that thinking hat on of, it, it is. I mean, that's that whole forensic side of things that yeah. we're doing. Once once we um, have exchanged with the other side, we are then starting to do more of a forensic look at the bank statements and everything. However, I'm always conscious that that can push parties further apart. Yeah. Because... I wouldn't want somebody looking through my bank statements no. and saying, well, what did you spend that on? And what did you spend that on? Because I want to be able to spend my money how I want to spend it's it. It's like don't an want invasion someone... of privacy, it isn't really, it? It really is. But of course, if you come before the court and you're asking the yeah. court to help you get a financial order, we've got to do it the court's way. Yeah. You know, if the judge is going to make an order, then the judge wants to see certain things. Um, and yeah, it does get really kind of nitty gritty. Yeah. And I think you notice as well when you're kind of in the financial proceedings and you have to do the updating disclosure further down yeah. the line, you start to notice people's um, references on their bank statements. I think they can sometimes change when they're in those yeah. proceedings. And I think yeah. that's something which I, I found mad. Absolutely. Or all of a sudden, um, either spending can come down yeah. maybe or spending can go up all of a sudden we've got a loan that we owe mom and we all, <laughs> yeah. and mom wants it back so now we're putting you know we're, we're sending a thousand pound a month over to mom for this loan that yeah. you know oh did i not tell you about that the loan that we had from mom yeah <laughs> so a lot of that starts to play out because of course financial proceedings 
they, if we're before the court, they can go on for in excess of a year. You know, the, the, the worst cases, like some of the better cases where the parties aren't as acrimonious, we can settle maybe three to six months. So we get to see people's bank statements over a, a long period yeah. of time. And it can be quite amusing what people start to do. Yeah. And this skullduggery that goes on. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I mean, it is even crazy. now, I think, like, when I look at my bank accounts, I'm like, Christ, I need to start spending certain oh, money. I know. I'm like, oh, they're like, Amy's at the pub. I know, I know. <laughs> when, when the accountant does my end of year tax, I think, oh, God, it's a bit yeah, embarrassing, that, isn't it? But at the time, we had fun. It's a great time. We had fun doing <laughs> it, spending it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Business cards coming out. <laughs> oh, right, so we've done that one. Okay, so going on to another question from you guys, we've got, we agreed a financial order, but mm-hmm. now my ex wants the courts to decide the split. Can... Oh, so can the agreement that they had before be used as evidence because now they're no longer... Yeah, so this happens a lot where um, parties maybe agree how the finances are going to be divided and then just before the order gets sent to court, one of them will change their mind. Or maybe there's a change in circumstance or maybe one of them wasn't getting legal advice and now they're getting legal advice. It will depend generally if there is an agreement reached and both parties have had solicitors that agreement will be binding even though it hasn't gone before the court you'd you'd have a hearing to argue that look we've put a load of work into this we've done some voluntary disclosure the order needs to be made needs to be sealed by the court but it will depend on the circumstance perhaps somebody didn't have legal representation when they were being when they were negotiating yeah. perhaps somebody was under in, undue influence perhaps somebody wasn't of sound mind you know maybe there was some addiction issues there and they were just signing because actually they wanted the lump sum but on reflection they're entitled to a little bit more so it will depend on the circumstances but yeah don't think that just because an order hasn't been sealed by the court that you're not legally bound by it because if solicitors have been involved and we've done loads of negotiation, it may be that you can't back out of that. Yeah. And say if you're in the court process, um, you decide to go down that route because you can't agree. Yeah. Can you all of a sudden agree without the court's help? Absolutely. Absolutely. If if you guys come to an agreement as to how you're going to divide the finances, run it by a solicitor. Always do that because the solicitor will tell you if it's legally fair and reasonable, yeah. that point I, I made earlier. Um, and as long as it's fair and reasonable, yeah, we can just send it into the court. Um, court will seal it um, and you know, that's it. No one needs to actually attend court. That's a financial order by consent. Yeah. So that's where it's not contested and we're not entering into litigation. And the courts kind of want you to get to that point anyway. They'd much rather have to vacate a hearing. Over the years, I've spoke to to many a judge who has said, you know, the the irony is they don't want to be interfering in a marriage. Yeah. Even though that marriage is broken down, they really want the... Because, look, it wasn't the judge that earned the money. It was the parties that earned the money. So, you know, lots of judges... I'm sure all judges would rather the parties sorted it out between themselves. Yeah. And I think people even like halfway through court proceedings, because there is such a long wait sometimes with the, your next hearing, yeah. all that time can pass. Things can change. And oh, people yeah. go to mediation, yeah. even drawing, like halfway drawing, yeah. even though media- mediation failed at the beginning. 
they've kind of now on terms where they try it again. Yeah. And then they, they come to you with a more of an agreement. And, and I think with the passage of time, emotions subside. Yeah. You know, when you are fresh into a separation, emotions are running high. And it's not just the actual couple involved. It can be their extended families as well. And of course, if there's any children involved. So the longer the time passes, the more agreeable a couple can get. Not always. Sometimes it can make it worse. But generally speaking, they're sort of they're less likely to hang on to everything they were hanging on to when they first separated. That's so true. Yeah. Another um, thing that everyone always kind of asks you about is when it comes to pensions. Does the pensions always have to get involved and kind of how does that work? So the starting point with pensions, because obviously pensions is looking after our income upon retirement. So once the court's happy that people's housing needs are met and their income needs for today are met, so up until retirement, then the pensions are going to be dealing with everything after retirement. So the rule of thumb is that all contributions made during the marriage will be divided equally between the parties, regardless of who paid into what pension, okay? However, we can trade a pension off for a bigger share of equity in the property. Um, if If the parties are in agreement to that, for example the courts will allow that to happen if that's what the parties want. So long as we can assure the court that the parties that's giving up its entitlement to that pension income has a plan B. So what are they going to have upon their retirement? You know, what is it that they are going to be reliant upon? Usually it will be an inheritance. So they'll say, look, we don't want to claim our ex's pension because actually we've got a big inheritance coming but because we're not claiming it, we would then like to keep more of the property. Yeah. And as long as the parties are in agreement, the courts will kind of let that let that go. Yeah. Yeah. I think when pensions are involved, it does make it a little bit more of a longer process, doesn't it? It can do, because of course, if if you've maybe paid into a pension before the marriage, yeah. we've got to try and ring fence that. And as solicitors, we're not qualified to do that. No. So we don't have the expertise there. So then it has to go to an actuary to be able to carve out um, pre-marital pension contributions. And then we're looking at how much of that pension is payable because one of the parties might have, say, a pension worth 200,000 and the other party's only got a pension worth 80,000. So what percentage of the bigger party's pension are we giving away? It's not always 50%, it might be 12%. Of course, you get an actuary involved, more money's involved. Mm. And it takes time. You know, an actuary's report can take about 12 weeks to be produced. Yeah. So, you know, we're delaying the process again um, if we want to have a pension share order. Okay, so next question. Yeah. Um, So my partner is divorced, but she cheated. Does that mean she cannot claim on his pension? We get this a lot. In finances, we're never including conduct. Well, not that kind of conduct anyway. Maybe bad financial conduct, such as, you know, somebody's frittered it all away or gambled it all or whatever. But generally speaking, no. Where there's been adultery or, you know, domestic violence, we're not including that kind of conduct. So um, she would still be, answering this direct question, she would still be entitled to a share of the pension. Yeah. 
It's interesting. Isn't That's it? gonna hurt, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I can only give you the 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 legal answers, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, it not always be what you want to hear, basically. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> um. And final question: I can't afford to get a financial order. And what can I do? So people say this to me all the time again, and my stock answer is: you can do it yourself. Know that the family court arena is a private court, so it's not like what you see on the telly. It's not the criminal courts. We've got a public gallery, and yeah. anyone's allowed to walk in. It is a private court, so it will just be you and your ex and the judge and any legal representatives that you have. So I say that to people because it can give people confidence that they can represent themselves. Also, obviously, you can tap into the social media stuff that we do all the time and, you know, yeah, follow recently... what what we're saying because I'm always giving tips on how to fill out forms and what forms are needed. If you really want to get into it, I have done a course on this and I'll take you through all the forms from start to finish what they look like. I actually complete them with you um, on the video. Um, I'll show you what needs to go in, the kind of language that's used, how to do your form E's, your form A's, how to do your questionnaires, your chronologies, everything. So that's always there as a guide as well. Um, But yeah, have a go at doing it yourself, guys. It really isn't that difficult. No, and I think it's really beneficial because it kind of gives you a heads up of what to expect too. Absolutely. Because it it can be a really daunting process. So having that knowledge behind you beforehand yeah is is going to help you along the way and where people say i can't afford it i think some of them think that well we've got to instruct us solicitors do everything know that you don't have to do that you can just get the odd one or two hours as and when you need it yeah. not just from me but from other solicitors who could maybe just glance their eye over a witness statement or maybe look at your um, application to make sure that you've done it properly you know more and more solicitors are happy to do that yeah without taking you on as a full-time client so definitely and i also going to point out on the legal queens youtube yeah. we have recently done a video on how to keep your legal fees low so go and check it out oh yeah we did get, yeah, yeah so good point. that will good help point. you guys out massively yeah. because we do dib and dab into that too yeah i think you're right amy i think we could we could talk about this all day yeah it's a massive topic on social media on my social media channels about finances um we will do another podcast on this, yeah, I easily. think, because as Amy said at the beginning of this, the Q&A that she ran was absolutely inundated with, yeah. with questions. So, And I'm happy to answer them. I really don't mind. Yeah. Um, so I really hope that you guys enjoyed that video. Um, did you have something that you wanted to say to wrap I up? I do, to Go wrap on. it up. Yeah, like our, like our, like our wrap-ups aren't the best, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> Still we'll getting get there used in the to end. the wrap-ups. <laughs> As you can tell, we're not professionals just yet. <laughs> Um, obviously, if you guys do have a uh, subject that you want us to talk about, um, if you go over to the website, which is malonefamilylaw.com and forward slash podcast, we do have a contact box um, and you can drop us an email if you have a question or if you want us to talk about something on the show, if you kind of want a special guest of some kind or you know of anyone or if you are someone who could potentially be a special guest, yeah, absolutely. then um, yeah, drop us an email because yeah, we're always here for it. And This is only, what, our third, fourth one doing this? So we're still learning. Apologies for the glitches and the odd dog bark (laughs) in the background. But we are really enjoying it. Like, it's just another way to communicate and help you guys. So thoroughly enjoy it. Um, Hope you guys did too. Look forward to seeing you again next Sunday for another Family Law Podcast, Tea with the Queen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye.